Psalm 92, we'll be looking at uh, various passages, but the theme of the message, um, perhaps appropriately, is thanksgiving. I want to read the full psalm. I'd like to ask Ariel if you'd pray for the ministry of the Word this morning. Psalm 92, beginning in verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, and to sing praises to thy name, O Most High. To declare thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness by night, with the ten-stringed lute and with the harp, with resounding music upon the lyre. For thou, O Lord, hast made me glad by what thou hast done. I will sing for joy at the works of thy hands. How great are thy works, O Lord! Thy thoughts are very deep. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this that when the wicked sprouted up like grass and all who did iniquity flourished, it was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. But thou, O Lord, art on high forever. For behold, thine enemies, O Lord, for behold, thine enemies will perish. All who do iniquity will be scattered. But thou hast exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil, and my eye has looked exultantly upon my foes, my ears hear of the evildoers who rise up against me. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green. To declare that the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. Let us pray. We have been reminded this week, individually, by the world around us, of the things that we should be thankful for. And yet we see in your word that we, your children, understand the true reason and the true source of thankfulness is the work that you did from before the foundations of the earth. That you sent your Son to redeem us from the pit, that we might be joined to you. I pray that the Holy Spirit would cause us to be ever thankful, that we would rejoice in our Savior and our God, that we would not forget that there are many blessings you have given us, and we would give thanks for those, but that we would always remember that our first and foremost thankfulness is for the work of salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord, as your servant brings the word, we pray power on him that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts that we would understand the will of our Lord and Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. What does God want from me? It's a question that the answer to which is frequently expounded from the pulpits of the church throughout its history. What does God want from you? You profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You're a member of the church or of the parish. What is it that God expects from you? In many churches, of course, in our day, the answer is money. You know, he wants your money or your service. He wants your hands and your feet because, of course, he is no longer on the earth. Within the Reformed tradition, 
that which God requires of us is generally in, along the lines of obedience. He wants us to obey His Word. Or holiness. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be devoted to Him and to His church. He wants us to, to sacrifice. He wants us to worship. What does God want from me? Well, what do I want when I have freely given something to another? Well, hopefully if I have done so in love and in concern and compassion for the other, the only thing that I want is thanks, gratitude. And I think that I could make a case from the scriptures, and I hope to do so this morning, that of all the things that God wants from me, if not foremost among those things, never lacking, is thanksgiving. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is basically Paul's commentary on Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. In the centerpiece of, of his worship of God, rejoice always, praying without season, ceasing, ceasing, he says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So, what should be the easiest thing for us to do is often the hardest. And I think we may find that not only in our relationship to God, but also our relationship one to another. It should be easy to be thankful. It should be something that, that is natural to do, to give thanks. But in fact, it's not. It's very unnatural to the human heart. And sometimes it's the hardest thing for us to do because to give thanks is to acknowledge a debt. It is to admit another as being gracious. We, we, we acknowledge and we admit that someone else has given us something that is pleasing to us, something that perhaps we could not or would not get for ourselves. It's to humbly receive for another, from another person's hand. And we're not by nature, by fallen nature, I should say, humble people. Now, generally, there's no problem with this when it is justified by the occasion. Hopefully, we all say thank you for our birthday gifts and for Christmas presents. You know, sometimes we're thinking in our mind, you know, it is the thought that counts. What were you thinking? But still, what comes out of our mouth is, thank you for this gift. And so when the occasion justifies it, you know, we, we do pretty well, although even then we should examine our hearts. But it is much harder when that which is given was unasked for and almost impossible when it was undeserved. Paul writes in Romans 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we're faced with a, a situation where we're, we're required to give what we find hard to give even one to another, especially when the gift that has been given to us was totally undeserved. And in the case of our salvation, we deserved the exact opposite. Now, it's, 
indicative of the insidious nature of sin. That when we're presented with such an incredible opportunity for gratitude, that we have not been given the wrath and the condemnation that we deserve, but rather we have been given compassion, we have been given mercy and forgiveness and even adoption. This should bring forth a heart of gratitude, and yet it often makes us, if not bitter, reluctant to accept that this is what God requires of me. We want to fill our list of things that we do for God with things like obeying and studying God's word and, and uh, sanctifying our life and presenting ourselves as holy and devoted to our Savior and to our church. We give of our time and our money. We pray. We sing. But in our hearts, we're not thankful. We're bitter. We don't count our blessings and we don't bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And we don't consider it to be a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. Can it be that that is all he really wants from us? Is sincere and consistent gratitude? I think so. But this is not so strange, really, that I could... And I don't mean to, to in any way diminish the importance of obedience, of holiness, devotion and service, sacrifice, worship, except to say that if any of these things are done without a heart of thanksgiving, they're empty. They're not received. And God looks upon the heart, not the outward man. So all of our religious activity is of no account if it does not reflect a grateful heart, if our singing does not flow from gratitude, if our love and adoration, our praise and our prayers are not directed to a God whom we acknowledge has given us every blessing in the heavenly realms and innumerable in this life, then I would say to you that all of that is as dung. We worship God with our lips but our hearts are far from Him. Gratitude is powerful at humbling the soul, which is why I believe God has said it, and, and I hope to show from, from scriptures, not only Psalm 92, but others, but He has said it as the centerpiece of His worship, that we should give thanks. Gratitude is humbling to the soul, but it is also exalting of the Savior. It, it does that which God requires of is in our life as believers, and that is to, to put to death the deeds and the desires of our own flesh and to exalt the Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we recognize how foreign true thankfulness is to our fallen nature, as the psalmist says here, I think so to me humorously, a senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this. It is so foreign to our fallen nature that I think we can see that the presence of gratitude, true thankfulness, is clearly a work of God in the life of a sinner. I think it is fascinating that in Romans chapter 1, where Paul the Apostle indicts the entire human race for abandoning its Creator, 
and worshiping the creation. He says, for even though they know God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks. At the bar of divine justice, the indictment against the human race is that they didn't give thanks. That should indicate how important gratitude is. We've spoken a lot in uh, various settings, our Sunday evening service talking about pastoral ministry, our Thursday night class on ecclesiology, now in Sunday school, about the Holy Spirit. And when we think of the Holy Spirit in modern evangelicalism, we often think of the, of the charismata, the grace gifts, those things that God the Holy Spirit gives to individual believers but things that he does not give to each and every believer. And I want to say that gratitude, thankfulness, is not a charismata. It is not something that is given to one or a few of us in greater measure and, and not to others. If the gift of salvation that we have each received is full, eternal life, which I believe it is, then each of us have been given, us, given great cause to be thankful. An ungrateful Christian must be a contradiction of terms. And I hope that whenever you find yourself ungrateful or residing in ungratefulness, that you would realize that that is out of character for a true believer. If there are faults that may be named against each one of us, and to shock you, there are. If we have vices, if we have sins, let ungratefulness never be named among them. And yet a grateful heart, while it is not a grace gift, it is not a charismata that is distributed by the Holy Spirit individually but not evenly, yet it is nevertheless a grace. It is the grace of God, capable of being stirred up and strengthened, but also capable of being suppressed and quenched. It is something that God puts within our hearts when we are born again. It comes with the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And like Paul says, we are capable of quenching and of grieving the Holy Spirit. So it's it's, it's a gift that has been given to us, but it is for us to either grow it and nurture it and strengthen it, or through the cares of this world, through selfish ambition, through disappointment, to quench it, to suppress it, and perhaps even to kill it. The Puritan writer said, Contentment is the gracious frame of heart. Indeed, in contentment, there is a compound of all graces. If the contentment is spiritual, if it is truly Christian. I love that phrase. It is the compound of all graces. Because the man or the woman or the child who fully comes to understand the grace of God that has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, each and every facet of grace not just the grace of forgiveness, not just the grace 
of eternal life, not just the grace of adoption and so many other graces. The compound of all those graces can be nothing other than thank you, Lord. It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. Christian contentment bears fruit in thanksgiving. But it is also strengthened and nourished through thanksgiving. You, you cannot be a grateful person and never give thanks. But by giving thanks more and more, you find yourself to be a more and more grateful person. So it's a grace that is not only the compound of all graces, but a grace that strengthens and nourishes itself just by its own practice. Now, now we know from exercise that, that simply doing something with our bodies does not strengthen it. Flapping our arms, for example, looks silly and doesn't get us any stronger. But put some weights on the end of those arms and do it, and you will strengthen it. And so God, by His providence, has put some weights on the end of this grace of gratitude, and that is He has left us in this world, a world in which there are weeds and birds and rocky soil and all manner of things that would steal away from our hearts the peace that passes understanding and the knowledge that the stupid man doesn't have, and that is God is good and He has done good to us. And so our, our gratitude is strengthened by our life. And while I am not Arminian, I still believe that we have choices. And one choice that we have each day is whether we will respond to the struggles of life, the challenges of life, with gratitude or with bitterness. And as Ariel prayed, the essence of the psalm, Psalm 92, is that in order to make the right choice, our focus needs to be on the one who has done good to us. For thou, O Lord, hast made me glad by what thou hast done. I will sing for joy at the works of thy hands. Now you might think that this means that we should be at all times meditating upon our salvation, that at all times we should be thinking about our heavenly home, that in, in some manner we should look past what we see with our eyes and only what we see with our spirit. And I think that is to some measure true. But you know, God created this entire world for us. And I find it quite fascinating. Sometimes a little too fascinating. Sometimes it gets a little close. But this world is remarkable in all of its aspects. Psalm 19 tells us that the glory of the Lord is declared through the heavens and the earth, through His creation. And so I, I don't think this is just being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I don't think this is always meditating and, and quoting scriptures. I think the attitude of gratitude that, that the psalmist is reflecting, I will sing for joy at the works of thy hands. These are the works of His hands around us. The land and the sea, the earth and the planets, the, the constellations and the universe, both macroscopic and microscopic. Fascinating at, the, at the, uh, the structure of an atom. 
as well as of a black hole, all declaring the works of God. And in the center of this, by his wisdom and his grace, he has placed man as his own image. And we glory in the works of his hands. Certainly, this makes our gratitude differ from worldly gratitude because our gratitude is transcendent of temporal circumstance. Now, it's not always. I'm not, I'm not standing here as someone who doesn't find life heavy to bear at times, find questions that have no answers. That, that is not, as I said, that is, that is not the world in which God has providentially placed us. And if you meet somebody who is like that, who seems untouched by the cares of this life, you have met either a fool or a hypocrite, one or the other. And if you want to try to figure out, you can stay with them, but I would suggest you leave. As I said, God puts us in this world to strengthen our faith and our gratitude. But worldly gratitude is entirely tied to worldly and circumstantial events, which is why Jesus said, as, as we heard again this morning, peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be fearful. Peace I give to you, and for that peace we are forever thankful. The psalmist writes, How great are thy works, O Lord! Thy thoughts are very deep. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this. Thy thoughts are very deep. So we move as believers from marveling at the creation of God to beginning to meditate upon both his creation and his word, that we might think his thoughts after him. It, it is amazing how many times the psalmist or the apostle Paul especially talks about the thoughts or the mind of God. Paul tells us that, that no man knows the heart of a man, but only the spirit of that man. And in the same way, no one knows the mind of God, but the spirit of God. And he says that is the spirit that we have been given. Paul acknowledges in Romans 11 that God's thoughts are past finding out. His ways are too deep for us to fathom. We're, we're never going to get to the heart of who and what God is. But nowhere in Scripture are we justified because of that in stopping our search. Thy thoughts are so deep. And that, and that stretches our minds. It stretches our mind's horizon. It fills our heart with the knowledge of God, again, resulting in what? Thankfulness. Thankfulness that, that as a creature, I was made in the image of God, which means that I have immortality, I have spirituality, but even more than that, it means that among all of God's creatures, I as a man am able to hear him. There is a correspondence between what he says and what I hear. I'm able to respond. I'm able to obey. I'm able to be his child and to walk in his ways. And the scripture goes on to say that, that the believers will, will judge angels. And they will be the co-rulers of the universe 
with their older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. My thoughts are very deep. The believer also knows the majesty of God's works. And I think, I think the thing that may stir up thankfulness most powerfully in the individual believer's heart is the awareness that the majesty of God's works have been directed to my greatest blessing. To our greatest blessing. To the people of God being exalted by God and bearing His glory. The second coming of Jesus Christ is spoken of by Paul as, as the appearance of the Son of God with His saints in glory. Now we don't have any idea what that is. What we do know is it's something that we do not partake of now, but in faith and in hope we know that we will. The psalmist says, But thou hast exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. These passages teach us that what we have not deserved, God has done, and even more. It would be enough for God simply to forgive us our sin. To leave us in a state of not condemned. To take away from us the wrath of God that is justly due our rebellion. That would be enough to elicit thanksgiving and gratitude. To be forgiven, to be, uh, to be pardoned, to be free. But God has done more. He has exalted us. He has raised us up and seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. He has put the same spirit that, that brought Christ from the dead into our hearts. He has given us his word. He has made us a part of his people. He has done all of these things to exalt the sinner through the Savior, Jesus Christ. All redounding to his glory, the glory of his grace. But nonetheless, all redounding to our benefit. And hopefully to our thanksgiving. Jeremiah Burroughs, the Puritan that I quoted earlier, wrote, as far as I can tell, basically one classic work, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. An excellent book, if only for its title, but also for its content. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I'd like to change, as we close, our consideration of thanksgiving Change his title a little bit from rare jewel to crown jewel. Because I believe that, as I said earlier, of all the graces that God bestows upon us, none is more glorious. None is more manifestly glorying to God than our thanksgiving. So the crown jewel of Christian contentment, the crown jewel of Christian gratitude, it is the center jewel of true worship. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God. The psalmist says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to thy name, O Most High.
Why has God given us song? Certainly not because he has given us all voices with which to sing. But he has given us song because it is the natural medium of thankfulness for the human soul. Now not all music is thankful. And perhaps the nature of song, the right true nature of song, is what makes bad music so horrible. Because it is. It is an overflowing expression of gratitude to God. To sing praises. To sing praises. And that, and that, musical, uh, that, that musical outpouring that is the nature of man leads us to instrumental music. The ten-stringed lyre and the harp. The resounding music upon the lyre. The lute. And then elsewhere the psalmist talks about so many other it is fascinating to me that there are believers who believe that there should be no instrumental music in the worship of God. And yet the same people generally also exclusively sing the Psalms in which we read about the worship of God with instrumental music. I don't get it. I'm missing something there. So are they. God has made us a certain way. Music and song are part of a thankful heart. If you, you know, you've heard people going about with a, with a melody in their heart. I'm not one of those. But when I am thankful, when the Spirit has made me most aware of what he has done in the heavenlies, but, but also here on earth. How can I keep but singing? How can I keep from singing? And so it is the center jewel, it's the crown jewel of true worship, and that is thankfulness. It is also the believer's antidote for anxiety. It is really hard to be anxious and thankful at the same time. It really is. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Again, that, that clause, with thanksgiving, means either the life of your prayers and supplication or their death. Prayers and petitions lifted to God's throne without thanksgiving don't make it. Just as a heart or a song lifted to God without a heart of thanksgiving is hollow. It is the crown jewel, the antidote for anxiety, but it also opens up the whole of God's creation for our use and enjoyment. It has been my experience in... Um, 40 years, wow, of being a believer, that one of the most dedicated efforts of institutional church is to make sure you don't have any fun at any time. 
But again, Paul writes in a passage that we'll be looking at again this evening. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. That's pretty amazing. You know, it's not so amazing because, as I said, he made this whole place and gave it to us. All of creation. And he set man in the midst of it. And he said to man, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. And, and I don't know how the conversation went before the fall, but I imagine Adam, I can imagine Adam looking at all that God had created, marveling at the works of his hands, and God continually saying to him, it's yours. It's yours. Enjoy it. Have a good time. Just give thanks. Just be thankful. And I think he says the same to us. Paul says it very clearly. Nothing that God has created is not good. All that he has made is good and is for our enjoyment if it is received with thanksgiving. Burroughs also writes in his book, A soul that is capable of God can be filled with nothing else but God. And so while we are and are to be grateful and thankful for all that God has done for us in salvation and in life, the pinnacle of our gratitude is that He has not only made us in His image, but He has redeemed us and filled us with Himself. And the more we are conformed to the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the more we realize the truth of what Burroughs writes. We are souls that are capable of God. All human souls are capable of God. And none can be filled with anything but God. And so we have been and are being filled with God the Holy Spirit who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies and with many temporal blessings here on earth. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to thy name, O Most High. The words that we sung today earlier, I think, are beautiful and biblical. My life goes on in endless song above earth's lamentations. I hear that sweet though far off hymn that hails a new creation. When I com contemplate who God is and what he has done for me, how can I keep from singing? Let us pray. Our Father, you are an awesome God, creator of heaven and earth, majestic in holiness, fearful in praises. You indeed can control the wind and the waves. You are behind the thunder. Your wrath is too terrible to contemplate. Yet you have shown yourself merciful and gracious. Your loving kindness extends to those who have no claim upon it. For while we were yet sinners, you manifested your love for us in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. So, Father, we pray that our hearts might indeed be filled with the grace of gratitude 
And that the one thing that might be said of each one of us as we walk through this life, as we experience earth's lamentations, that that one thing that may be said of each one of us is that we were thankful. That we rejoiced in the goodness and the grace of our God all the days of our life. For your glory and for our good, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please stand with me for a brief <clears throat> benediction from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift.